We are talking us, we've been talking the past three weeks on gifts of the Spirit, and we're going to finish that series up today. First week we talked about the sign gifts, and that was 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. To one there is given the same through the Spirit, the message of wisdom, the message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. That was the first and second week. Since these gifts are the most controversial and misunderstood, we explained that it was not only meant for the church at that time, but we believe it's also meant for the church today. The rest of 1 Corinthians 12 applies, or 1 Corinthians applies to us. Why would not chapter 12 apply? Now, I mentioned earlier that uh, there were three letters to Corinthians that were actually written, and we don't have the very first one, but it is referenced to in the uh, letters he's written. 1 Corinthians 5.9 says, I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. So these were questions that he had answered the very first time he wrote this letter, and we don't have it. So we believe that it was a good letter, but it's not part of God's canon. It's believed to be the first one he wrote. And then Paul receives a response to that first letter. 1 Corinthians 7.1 says, Now for the matters that you wrote about. And this letter, 1 Corinthians, is in response to the letters that they wrote back after his first letter, if you got all that. So we believe, since this was included in the chapters and the verses that we have today, we believe that are included for today as, as well. So we also talked about the helps gift. I call them the helps gift, First or Romans 12, verse 6. It says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. You know, nobody disagrees with these gifts. We all believe that, uh, except for maybe prophecy, we all believe that all the other gifts are applicable today. So if they are, we believe that prophecy is as well. Now, last week we had, or lastly, what we're going to talk about today is what I call the service gifts. We had the sign gifts, helps gifts. Now these are the service gifts. And other commentaries will refer to them as ministry leadership gifts. Now the word minister actually means to serve. So they can be called service gifts. This is Ephesians 4.11. Most of you probably already know it. It says, he was, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So those are the gifts we're going to talk about this morning. Now the first one is the one that is misunderstood, I think, a lot. And that is the word apostle. 4.11 says, it was he who gave some to be apostles. Now there are two types of apostles. The first one is being an apostle in a unique or a special sense. A New Testament apostle has been one who has been personally commissioned by Christ to deliver and confirm his original message. These are the ones who actually established his church in the book of Acts and beyond. These are generally thought to be the 12 disciples, uh, Matthias being the one who replaced Paul or replaced uh, Judas, 
Some believe it should have been Paul, but in either case, Paul was also considered to be a, an apostle. Galatians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Barnabas was considered an apostle as well in Acts 14.3 and 4. It says, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided, some of them with the Jews and others with the apostles, talking about Paul and Barnabas. James was also an apostle, Galatians 1.19. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. These were folks who were mentored personally by Jesus. They were closely associated with eyewitnesses to Jesus' ministry and had a personal encounter with Jesus after the resurrection. Some of them were also used by God to write what we have as a New Testament today. This particular role of apostle obviously is not for today. You may ask, why does Paul include it? Well, because there's also a general word, a general use of the word apostle. Since we are not adding to God's word, we're not starting a new branch of Christianity, that apostleship ended. The second one is the general use. It means a commissioned representative of a church, such as a messenger appointed and sent as a missionary or for some special responsibility. Romans 16, 7 says, Greet Andronachus and Eunice, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Philippians 2, 25. But I think it's necessary to send you back to Ephroditus, my fellow, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. In 2 Corinthians 8.23, as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. The primary responsibility of a New Testament apostle is basically like a home missions pastor or a church planter. There's a lot of church planting going on this past few years. We've been planting, not us personally, but the Assemblies of God has been planting new churches. When you plant a church, you go into a town that doesn't have any kind of, at least for Assembly of God, and there's no Assembly of God church, and you go in cold, there's nobody there, and you have the, the mission and the, 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 the job of starting a church from nothing. And that is what we believe a, a New Testament apostle is today. There's a lot of that going on, and, and people are called to do that. I'm not, I'm not called to be a church planner. It takes a special kind of person to be one of those, to go into a place that, it's like a missionary. You go into a town that nobody knows you, there's nothing established. You find a place to rent, you find the people, you go from door to door, you, you advertise, and you let them know that you're there. And obviously, every church was at one time a plant, was a, was a plant from nothing. And it takes a special people to do that. And we now, at least in this church, we benefit from someone who planted a church here. And if you look at our history, it was planted actually in someone's home. And then they came here around 1950. And then around 1974, they built this building. So we're all benefits of, of apostles who are church planters. The next person is the prophet, Ephesians 4.11 again some to be apostles, and some to be prophets. Again, a misunderstood term. In the Old Testament, prophets foretold future events. You know, God says, okay, tell them this is what's going to happen. 
In the New Testament, we don't have that so much. There was a wave of things going on, probably late 80s, early 90s, that people were coming up and saying, I have a word from God for you. And they would say, you know, God told me to tell you you're going to be whatever, missionary, preacher, whatever it's going to be. And the person who they said that to had no idea why they said that. And a lot of people took that as, man, that's a prophet from God telling me what to do. The New Testament prophets will do something similar to that, but they do it in a case of you already knowing what it is. In other words, you're praying about as a job, or you're praying about being a preacher, you're praying about this particular item. And then someone comes up to you and says, you know, God told me to tell you, yes, you should be a preacher, or yes, you should buy that home, or yes, you should take that job as a confirmation. It's something that you're already praying about, you're seeking God's will, and God allows someone to come up and tell you something that they had no idea about. Hey, does God just you know, put this in my heart? Are you praying about this? Are you praying about being a preacher? Because God told me to tell you that, yeah, you're supposed to do that. Or, no, no, you're not supposed to do that. You know, it, it, it encourages you for something that you already know. Prophets today are associated with the gift of prophecy. We talked about that the first week. These are spirit-filled believers and interpreters of God's word used by God to warn and challenge, encourage, comfort us during a church service, another use of that term. Now, a prophet's character and main motivation should be for the, a church purity. They should be excited about what God's doing in the church. They should, they should have a deep sensitivity to evil, and they should have a, an, an ability to identify things that are going on and be used by God for that. Anything that opposes or denies God, that's what a prophet should do. That should have that discernment as well. They should be able to detect false teachers. 2 Peter 1.19 says, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Prophet should attempt to keep the church pure, sin-free, encouraging. And as such, someone who does this might not be liked by certain churches. If you're in a church, not this one, but if you're in a church that you realize that they're not really preaching the Bible, they're not really teaching what God says, you have that discernment and you begin to challenge them on that instance. You say, why aren't you talking about the Bible? Why aren't you sticking to the Bible? Why aren't you talking about all these other things instead of the Bible? Well, that's not gonna get you any favors or any friends in, in a church setting. And the, the main example I can think of was uh, Martin Luther. He kind of disagreed with the uh, Catholic teaching on indulgences, indulgences. He published his 95 Theses, which he saw as false teaching. And he wasn't liked too much. I read a book that says a, a year after Luther wrote the 95 Theses, they were condemned as heretical by Pope Leo X. And Luther was also excommunicated from the Catholic Church that same year. Martin Luther was given the chance to recant his statements against the Catholic Church at the Imperial Diet of Worms in 1521, but he refused. If you find yourself in a church that doesn't 
it's deviating from God's word, they're not teaching God's word, you may have one of two choices. You may be called to challenge that, or you may be called to leave that. I remember listening to, um, I don't know if you all know the name, D. James Kennedy. He's a Presbyterian pastor from years. He passed away, but he was, I love listening to him. He's a great guy. And he would, his testimony was he, he was ordained in the Presbyterian church. And there was three different branches, I guess, the Presbyterian church. And he tried to reform the branch he was in bring it back to the Bible, and it, it didn't work. So he had to actually leave that, and, and he was joining another branch of Presbyterianism that was more biblically based. If you have a, a call to do that in your local church, do it. But if you realize that no matter what you do, you're not going to change it, then maybe God's calling you to move. The next one is evangelists. Ephesians 4.13 or 4.11 it was, he gave apostles, prophets, and some to be evangelists. Now, these are godly ministers who are gifted and commissioned by God to preach just the gospel. Their main focus is bringing people who don't know Christ into a relationship with Christ. They'll tell you uh, an evangelist's job is to blow in, blow up, and blow out. And they generally do a much better job at being emotionally in-depth in, in about what they're preaching, strictly a gospel message, because that's what they're called to do, bring people to Christ. And when preached properly, the gospel always carries with it the offer of salvation and the forgiveness of sin. Acts 8, Philip the Evangelist, Acts 8 uh, verse 5 says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits come out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Acts 8.12, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts 8.26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, the context of that story is Philip was beginning a revival. There was a revival going on in the city. He was the main preacher. He was the evangelist, and people were getting saved and water baptized, filled with the Spirit. And right in the middle of the revival, God says, okay, time for you to go. You've got to go down and meet this one guy, the Ethiopian eunuch. You've got to go down there and witness to him. So God may call you from an exciting event to minister to one person, which is exactly what Philip was called to do as an evangelist. We've had, we watched Tiff on Wednesday nights. He's an evangelist. And awesome. I like his preaching. I love his preaching. And I like his teaching because he's so, so knowledgeable. But to hear him preach, he gets really excited about things of God. And it encourages me to watch him. So evangelists have a definite calling from God to really reach people. And I tell you, if you ask any evangelist, you've got to make sure your wife is on board with that too <laughs> because you're gone all the time. You're hardly ever home because you're in one church after another. Every Sunday you're traveling somewhere, usually doing a revival Sunday to Wednesday or Sunday to Sunday. And he'll tell you, Tiff will tell you, that his wife is, you know, a gift from God because she raised the kids while he was gone. But he was doing God's work. And you've got to have a special call to be able to do that. 
And if you know his kids, they're both serving God as well. So it's a, it's a blessing. It's a gift from God. God uses evangelist Billy Graham, probably the well, most well-known evangelist. And all he did, if you ever listen to his sermons, very simple, straightforward. You need to get saved was basically his message. The next gift is pastors. In verse 11, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors. Those whose ministry gifts and calling by God calls them to devote themselves to oversee and care for the spiritual needs of a local congregation. And we mentioned last week that pastor, elder, overseer, all interchangeable words in the New Testament. And their responsibility is to help the congregation grow as a body under the headship of Christ. Preacher's job is to communicate God's word accurately through preaching and teaching and refuting false beliefs and misunderstandings. 2 Timothy 2.15, Timothy, young preacher, Paul says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, but who correctly handles the word of truth. That's the key right there. Correctly handles the word of truth. You know, with all the social media and the internet and YouTube and all that, there are a thousand and one preachers out there. More than that. Some are great. Some you need to avoid. It just, there's so much deviation from God's word. The Bible says in the last days many will fall away. And this new thing that's coming out now is the, is the progressive Christian. How many have heard the term progressive Christian? Progressive Christian is someone who probably was raised in a church, but comes to the point where they don't actually believe God's word to be true anymore. They believe some of it, maybe most of it, but there are certain things that they disagree with. And so they don't believe it, and therefore they don't teach it or teach opposite that. And if you listen to them, it sounds good. You know, they, they, but then it gets to a point where they kind of deviate from that. And they, they basically go towards more of a, a social gospel, if you know what that's. Social gospel is when you talk about things of the community, when you talk about things of God. And that's kind of where they're going. And if you're not careful, it's get easy to get sucked into them. So we need to be careful about who we listen to and make sure that that's why God gives pastors of a local church you get fed in your local church hopefully the guy's good you want to get fed there and everything else you get is is great i i equate this when i get a hoagie i mean like hoagies i love hoagies when i get them from jim and nina's or jersey mike's whatever i always get everything except onions not a big fan of onions but every once in a while they'll put the onions on anyways so I gotta get home and I gotta pick the onions out and eat the hoagie. There's a lot of good people out there. There's some uh, iffy people. They have good teachings, but in some areas they're kind of strange. Sometimes you just gotta pick the onions out of what people teach and preach, and the rest of it's good. I like, I like John MacArthur. However, John MacArthur doesn't like me. <laughs> he's, he's not Pentecostal at all, he doesn't like Pentecostals. So I listen to what he teaches and I, I can pick the onions out of what I don't agree with. And when you read something, that's why you need discernment. You know, we talked about the gift of discernment. When you read a book or you read someone's sermon, you listen to someone's sermon, God will give you discernment over what you're listening to. And something at that point will go, you know, 
That doesn't sound right. And you either take it off or go search it out. Maybe they're right. Maybe you just don't know what they're teaching. God gives us wisdom and God's, the, the preacher is supposed to give you your main course. Everything after that is like eating out. This is dining in. And not every dining in is a great experience. Sometimes it's hot dogs, sometimes it's, yeah. Pastors aren't perfect, and nor should they claim to be. But we should try to be an example to those in the flock. First Timothy 3.1 says, here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. I mentioned this before. I've heard a lot of preachers that say that I never wanted to be a preacher. I hated it, and God made me do it. And now that I'm here, I love it. Well, this verse kind of says, you know, if you set your heart on being it, it means you want to do it. If you're dragged into it, kicking and screaming, and you don't want to do it, maybe God's not calling you to do it. It says, now the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. The Bible says, strike the shepherd, sheep scatter. So what's the easy thing to do? Make a preacher fall. And everyone who's under his leadership Hopefully it doesn't fall, but they're affected by that. I mean, those of you who remember the fiascos back in the 80s of Swaggart and Baker, how many people quit being Christians because these guys messed up? You can't follow a guy. Gotta follow God's word. Paul says, follow me, but only as I follow Christ. If I'm not following Christ, basically Paul's saying, don't follow me. Acts 20 verse 28 says, keep watch over yourselves and over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. 2 Peter 5, 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. Most churches, most Protestant churches are able to choose your own pastor. Now there's some denominations that they assign the guy, but most of them, you all pray about it. So that's why it's very important that you pray before you get a guy in here. Pastors should not be chosen for popularity should not be chosen through human strategy, but through the Holy Spirit wisdom and direction. Doesn't mean you don't examine the person, read his resume, but it means that once they've met the spiritual qualifications, then pray for the Holy Spirit's direction. A lot of good preachers out there and a lot of good fits. But as they say in business, the most expensive hire is the wrong hire. 
In other words, you spend your time and money on the new person and when you realize that they're not the right fit. The most costly hire for a church is the wrong pastor. A wrong pastor could teach wrong things, distort God's word, and lead everyone down the wrong path. Because it's easy to like the person more than you listen to what's being said. You don't follow a personality. You follow what they teach. And hopefully, you like the guy and he teaches the right stuff. But don't let your like for someone overshadow something that's being taught that's wrong. Just because someone stands in the pulpit doesn't mean that every word comes out of his mouth is gospel. 1 John 4, 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. I mentioned last week that teachers and preachers and leaders will be judged harsher. But that does not leave y'all off the hook. You still are responsible for doing what the Bible says. If you're only listening to someone and you're not reading for yourself, you're not searching it out for yourself, and they lead you the wrong way, I'll get judged. But you're still going to be in trouble. You need to know the stuff for yourself. And if you don't, it's your responsibility to make sure that what is taught is true and biblical. I mentioned last week about deacons and elders in the church, the leadership team of the church. They're responsible for me. If I'm not doing it right and I'm teaching stuff that's wrong, it's their job to call me on it, to say, hey, we need to have a meeting, Pastor. When you're teaching this, what do you mean? And it's their job to protect you all from the guy up front. Now, if the guy up front is doing a good job, then they're to protect me from you. <laughs> There's a saying in the church that God's gift to the church is the pastor and God's gift to the pastor is the deacon or elders in the church because you can't do it by yourself. Just one person praying about it, you can't do it. You need a bunch of people praying for God to work in a church. The next, per next part is teachers. Some to be pastors and teachers. Now, some people think it's the same person. Some people think it's two different people. Uh, but pastors should be able to teach. It doesn't mean teachers are pastors, though. These are people who have a special God-given ability to clarify, communicate, and explain God's word in order to build up the body of Christ. They are to guard by the Holy Spirit the message of truth that's entrusted to them. Now, I mentioned last week that our one of the reasons that we exist as a church is to make disciples, to teach and train people what God's word says, to educate them, teach them things of God. And that requires more than just sermons on Sunday morning, right? The Bible refers to itself as food. How many of you eat one meal a week? I don't eat one meal a day. More than one hour or one hour and a half on Sunday requires 
teaching to be received by you all, whether that's a Wednesday night, Sunday morning before church, or on your own. It takes individual teachers explaining different areas of biblical truth. They have a passion for teaching people about the things of God. That's what they want to do. When I first got saved, I, got, I enrolled, enrolled in a, we called it a first things first class, first steps class. I basically, now I'm a Christian, now what? And I, I loved the class, and I, I just, the teacher was awesome. I loved listening to him. He was, he was explaining it so easily. And that, to this day, I, love, I would go back to his class in a second. He's a good teacher. And you need teachers like that. And we have adult teachers. There's two right there, Marlene and Gil. Put time in it. They don't come in. You guys come in, just open your books and teach off the cuff. No, they, they take time to prepare. Now, if you look at a lot of churches, Sunday schools, you know, kind of falling out of favor. There's not a lot of churches that have Sunday school. Whether you call it that or not, Christian Ed, whatever you want to call it, if, there's, if you're just having a service and there's no teaching going on, then you're, you're missing out on some of the Great Commission. Because it's not called to make converts. It's called to make disciples to teach them. I'd love to have as many adult classes as we have room for, different topics. Because there's always something that is interesting and needed by somebody that's not needed by somebody else. Our old church, we had eight adult classes, all of them taught different things. And everybody, they, they rotated from class to class and you got taught. And that's what we're starting to do here. We want to teach. And especially the young people downstairs and the, and the youth we want to have time to teach them, and not just a lecture, because teaching is different than a sermon. Teaching, it's, it's informal, there's interaction, there's Q&A, there's discussion, expl- explanation. It, it's more conducive to receiving truth than just listening. Those of you who are teachers, what's the worst type of teaching you can do? Just a lecture, right? You want interaction. You want interaction with your students. Good teaching will cause students to base their beliefs and behaviors and lifestyles on the Word of God. It also exposes ideas and beliefs that will contradict God's Word. In other words, in a, in a small setting as a group, small groups of Sunday school, as you talk about things and people have questions about stuff that they hear, you're able to maybe explain it from God's Word, why that is true or why that isn't true. You want to explain it to them so they understand Which leads me to the end of this verse. And the reasons that all these positions and gifts exist. Verse 12 says, all these things exist to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, God gives the church. The apostles, they plant the churches the prophets to encourage and challenge and uplift the believers that are there, the evangelists to win people to Christ, and pastors to build up the church once it started. All to build up the body of God's people to shepherd them and comfort them so that they are able to do the same to others. What? What's the goal? To prepare God's people for works of service. Our job as leaders is not to do everything, but to empower you 
to be used by God and to fulfill the gifts that God gives you. I'm the painter in the house, only me. I try to teach my kids to paint. And about five minutes into it, I'm like, give me the brush and I'll finish it. You don't, they don't learn anything when you do that. You have to let them do it, right? You have to let them do something and you know they're gonna make a mistake. And you have to let them do it anyways. And you have to let them free to do because you don't want them at 35 depending on you for everything. Right now, teenagers, teenagers want you to do everything for them. Pap, give me the remote that's right there. <laughs> Get the remote that's right there. If, if, if we did everything and didn't allow you to do anything, well, one-off, we wouldn't get half the stuff done that we got done or a tenth of the stuff done, but it wouldn't allow you to experience the joy and the blessing of being able to be used by God in the gifts that God gives you. Now, preachers by, by habit are usually control freaks. We are. We just are. But we have to kind of give that up so that other people can do it. And it may not be the way that I do it, but it may be a better way that you do it. We don't have all the knowledge or the wisdom or the ability. But I've said this numerous times. I believe God gives every church those people who do have the gifts. And I think the Bible says that everybody has at least one. We have the gifts and the people that the church needs to be what God wants this church to be. Our job is to teach you about them, the gifts, so that you can be wise to them, you can seek them, and you can understand when you have them. And so you can be used in those gifts. Why does God do that? Verse 13 says, until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The example I thought about was a football team. Every player has a position he plays, and every position is important to achieve a victory, right? Every player doesn't do the same thing, but they operate in unity to get the job done. The center hikes the ball. Center maybe blocks an incoming player. Other players block. Some players run, some players receive, other players kick. If one player doesn't do his job, the play isn't going to succeed. A receiver runs a wrong pattern. A blocker misses the block, a kicker misses the kick. What happens? It falls apart. God gives every church, every player it needs to attain a win. Regardless of what position, every player is important. Regardless of what gift or ability you have, everyone in God's eyes is A, the same, and B, vital for any church's success. When everyone is exercising their gifts and abilities, you know what happens? We become unified as God's church. Doesn't mean we're all the same, doesn't mean we're all all robots. It means we're all unified in one goal. 
What does it mean? What's the goal? Reaching people for Christ, building up fellow Christians, and worshiping God. Those are the three reasons that any church exists. And what happens then? The church is victorious, which means we're all victorious. If each one of us is experiencing answer prayer and God doing miracles and, and God using you and your gifts to bless other people, that means you're victorious. It means the church is, is, is winning. And the more we become mature as believers, what happens? The more we become like Christ. I have a couple of questions here. Oh, I might even let you out early today. Yes, I feel like I'm jipping you. Question number one, do you feel you are equipped to serve the Lord in some capacity? Verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service. Do you feel built up in the faith? Verse 13 or verse 12, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Do you feel built up? Do you feel like as a church we are unified? Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith. Do you feel like you are maturing as a Christian? Verse 13 again, and becoming mature, attaining to the whole fe- uh, measure of the fullness of Christ. If these things are true in your life, then hopefully, then we're doing it right. If you're not, then we need to re-examine. What does Jesus say about his church? If we're fulfilling our role and we're doing what God calls us to do, what does Jesus say about the church at that point? Matthew 16, 17. Peter had this great revelation from from God and Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by man, but by by my Father in heaven. In other words, God gave him wisdom. God gave him the word. And he said, I tell you that you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church. And what? The gates of Hades will not overcome it. So that means if we're doing what God has equipped us to do and we're doing it to the best of our ability, nothing is going to defeat what God wants to do. It may feel like we're being pummeled by the enemy, but the Bible says that God will not let us fail. But that requires all of us to be a part of that. And you may feel like you're not part of that that you're not really being used by God. You know, God's not using me for whatever reason. Well, I got a remedy for that. In your bulletin, how many received the bulletin this morning? In your bulletin is a list of opportunities that we have for ministry in Dover. Now, I didn't preach that for this, but that's a nice little ending to it. These are things that either we do or we want to do, but we need folks to do that. And maybe you feel like you have a certain gift or a talent or ability, and you want to exercise that. I'll give you a great example of a gift that I definitely don't have, and that is growing anything. June has been the the plant person. I'll tell you how bad it is. In my house, that's where plants come to die, all right? Now, my mother-in-law is there. She's where plants go to live. My daughter, when Lauren was a baby, so she, Lauren's 35. When she was a baby, 
She had this little sprig of, I don't know what kind of plant it is. And it was just about dead. We just about killed it. She took this little sprig of a plant, and to this day, it's like overgrowing in her house. 35 years later, and she keeps trimming it, and it keeps growing. So she's like the, the plant whisperer. I'm the plant killer. So she has this little plant that she got, and she's nursing it back to health and sitting on my back steps in a little cup. And I'm going outside weeding, taking all the weeds out of the garden because, you know, they grow. But as I'm going out, I happen to kick this thing, and it lands on the ground and breaks the cup. And, but the, the plant is okay. So not only did they come to my house to kill by accident, they come to be killed in person. <laughs> so that is not my gift. But that's June's gift. And there are other people just like that here that have gifts. And, it, you know, does it have plant, plant, uh, plant gift? No. But it's an ability. What's God given you? A burden and an excitement and something that you're really good at. That you know God wants to use you. And it doesn't have to be up front. Most jobs that God picks are not up front. And I know a lot of you are like thankful for that. <laughs> right, Angel? <laughs> yeah. Chad? But see, everybody has something they can do. And the more that we're able to do that, the more people are going to reach for Christ. And when we're done, you know, in the Old Testament, Bible, the Bible says that uh, God equipped people who were, you know, metal workers and different artisans in the, in the Old Testament, that God gave them that ability. And I think that still applies today. You either are creative and have, you know, great creative hands, or you're not. I'm not. But other people are. And maybe that's your gift. Maybe God wants to use you in some way that you never thought. But I'm going to tell you, when you get used by God and you get pulled out of your comfort zone and you, you start exercising the gifts that you, you may even think you have them, but you don't really know them until you actually start using them. And when you realize that, man, who am I? The Bible says, who am I that thou art mindful of me? In other words, who am I, God, that you want to use me to do this and whatever that is whether it's planting or teaching or singing or whatever it is who, who am I what am I at one speck in Dover Pennsylvania that God wants to use me to do something and then you realize that what you're doing has a positive effect on those you're doing it for and maybe someone becomes something great because of your influence in their life. Nobody knows who Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher was, but Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher led him to the Lord. And the last sentence I wrote here is, if we're faithful to follow his word, in other words, the rock on which we build the church, then we don't need to fear anything that comes our way. The world may go south fast but we've got nothing to fear because God says nothing is going to overcome our church would you stand as we close this morning now that pass out that's in the bulletin is not just there for your perusal <laughs> it is there for you to check 
And don't forget to sign your name because I've gotten these back with no names on them. <laughs> yeah, I'll do this, that, and the other. Well, who are you? So if you feel, not by me guilting you into it, but you feel that the Holy Spirit is ministering to you, telling you, you know what? I want to be involved. I want to have a positive influence on someone else's life. And trust me, the older you get, the more you're going to want to, ha- want to leave behind that you did. I pass the cemeteries all the time up there on Church Road. And I see all the dates on, this, on the tombstones. And I wonder, what, did they contribute anything that's happening today? And I wonder, after I'm gone, is anybody going to say anything about me? Or is anything going to change because maybe I was a part of it? Maybe something changes because you're a part of it and you don't even see it. And I'll tell you, for me, that's good enough. If people were in heaven that I never knew, I'm okay with that. Knowing that what I did, whatever I did, mattered to the kingdom of God. And that could be anything you do. Let's pray. Before we pray, let me ask you a question. Maybe you've been in this church all your life. Or maybe you're relatively new in this church. We talk about leading people to Christ, but I would be shirking my responsibility if I didn't offer that to you today. You can sit in the church all year long and really not know Jesus. But if you're here... I believe there's no coincidences in God's kingdom. You're here for a purpose. You're here because God wanted you to hear something or experience something. And if you don't know Christ, I mean, you know him in your head, but you don't know him in your heart, then you're here for that. The Bible says we are all sinners. All of us. None of us, none of us are good enough to be in heaven after we die. Because the Bible says just one sin keeps you out of God's presence. But the Bible also says that Jesus came to pay that penalty for you. All the sins that we committed, all the punishment we deserve was actually placed on Christ. And all he asks us to do is believe that. The Bible says you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. You realize that in and of yourself, you can't be good enough. So Lord, I'm gonna fall totally upon you. I believe that the only reason I get into heaven is because I trusted what you did for me. And when you make that choice for Christ, I can tell you a light bulb goes off in your head and now you get it. But God makes you or lets you make the choice. The Bible says he stands at the doorway of your heart and he knocks. And he's knocking. But he's not going to open the door. The Bible says he's waiting for you to open the door. If that's you and you've never really placed your trust in Christ and you can't pinpoint a day or a time in your life where you committed your life to serving Christ, then today's the day that you're going to make that choice that's you and you want to experience what the Bible calls a new life, a new creation, then I want to pray with you. Would you raise your hand this morning if that's you?
Father, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be in, in a church to worship you. Thank you, Father, for equipping us with the abilities and the talents and the gifts that you've given us. And not just for us, but to be used for the kingdom of God. So that what we do matters not just for today, but for eternity. And Lord, I pray that you would fill each person here with your Holy Spirit. That you would continue to show them what you have gifted them with. The gifts that you've blessed them with. And allow them to realize that when they exercise those gifts, they not only are blessed themselves, they receive joy, but they are blessing someone else who is a recipient of that gift. Father, thank you for where you've brought us since 1950. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that we would continue to grow and continue to matter to the kingdom of God, that all that we do and all that we're exercising we, that we do, we want to reach more and more people with the gospel of Christ so that when our time is done, many people will be able to say that they came to know Christ because of something that happened in Dover Assembly. So Lord, I commit each person to you. Fill them, use them, energize them. Lord, let them be excited about what God's doing. And as we experience revival personally, I believe we're going to experience revival corporately as well. So Father, bless us as we leave this morning and allow us to experience personally things that you do in and through us. So Lord, we, we look back and we realize that it was you actually working through me. And Lord, that is amazing that you chose us to do that. So Father, I commit each person to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Man, God bless you. Have a tremendous week. See you Wednesday night. And let me know what God's doing, what answers to prayer you're receiving as testimonies for encouragement for everybody else.